0: Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Ugo Kruger, who's a civil and nuclear engineer and podcast host. His most recent guest was Noam Chomsky. Welcome back to Geopolitics and Empire, Ugo.
1: Well, thank you, Harvey. It's very nice to be here.
0: It's g- good to have you uh, back. And comments from the last time you were on were positive. People enjoyed uh, what you were uh, discussing, your worldview. Uh, I- I'm being silly here. You- you're not related to Freddie, Are you, Freddie Kruger?
1: Well, it's his distant family, you know, but uh, uh, hopefully, I never get to meet him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe, yeah, not in your in your uh, dreams. And so, uh, again, the the I'll put the link to your stuff in the description. But again, I highly recommend your Substack and your YouTube, where you're mostly doing live streaming your interviews. But I mean, Chomsky, Gareth Porter, I mean. Some Robert Bryce, who I've interviewed on TNT, Ian Davis, who's been on geopolitics and empire, just so many great people. I don't know why you're not getting more more traction, but hopefully that changes going forward. And maybe to start to get, you know, because it is geopolitics and empire, get your thought on the state of the world geopolitically and you know the hot spots are sort of basically Europe with you know Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Middle East, uh, you know, you touched on that with Iran recently with Noam and Gareth and then, you know, the whole China Taiwan equation and this talk of World War Three. Um, I, I, gather that you're not too freaked out about possibly a nuclear World War Three scenario, but what sort of your feeling regarding w- w- what's going on in this great power, uh, you know, new Cold War 2.0, uh, conflict between the West, uh, and, and the East?
1: Yeah, so, well, I to sort of sketch my worldview. I'm pretty much a realist geopolitically speaking, which is basically the mafia view of how the world works, I think. Great nations and these blocks act like mafias. But, you know, sometimes it's behind the scenes. You know, mafias always trade with each other until they go into a terrorist turf war. And then so that's when they start shooting each other. And I think that's exactly what happened in the Ukraine war. I mean, I had a cool conversation with Richard Sakwa on the origin of this conflict. And he's a good Russian expert and a post-Soviet expert, things of that sort. Um, So yeah, the Ukraine war, just simple. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious to anyone who hasn't been living under a rock that the CIA instigated d'état in Ukraine in 2014 and toppled a corrupt but democratically elected government. Um, you know, and, uh, basically since then, they've been flooding the place of weapons. So provoking Russia into war. Now Russia invades and they all throw up their hands and they say, guys, can you believe this aggressive, unprovoked aggression? And it's, uh, something that uh, Noam Chomsky said to me yesterday. No war beforehand was ever called the unprovoked war. Um, so why do they call it unprovoked? Because they bloody well knew, know that they provoked it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of obvious. Um, now I, Condemn Russia's invasion. I think it's stupid. I think 200,000 uh, people being dead. Um, if you count both sides together, that's the numbers as best we can tell. Um, you know, it's a horrible loss of life. And the great tragedy is there is a peace treaty called the Winston Protocol, which was signed in 2015, signed by Russia, sh- signed by Ukraine, endorsed. It was supposed to be endorsed by Samantha Power. So basically, the US said, the okay, to it. France, Germany, everyone was on board. And the most likely Outcome that Ukraine is probably going to get is something closer to that treaty. They're probably going to get less. So, had we not had a war with Ukraine, we could have had a better deal for people. Not killed two hundred thousand people that are probably your. You know, we should take it as for granted. Those kids, they are probably your and my age, maybe a little bit younger than us, right? So, had we been Ukrainian, we'd be dead now. Russian would be dead right now. So, you know, I find that just tragic and 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 stupid. What is going on over there? And I find the political response so irrational. Um, there is nuclear weapons. Now, I am a bit, I, I am concerned of nuclear weapons. Like you should not provoke Russia too far, far, and you should try and defuse the tensions. So the missing word here is detente, basically. We should try and ease the tensions there. Um, but yeah, as we say that, tensions in Taiwan, that seems to be the less likely of the free conflicts, although I don't, well, I might be wrong on that. Uh, Iran and Israel, the U.S. Ambassador Nidus just said to the, um, you know, to Israel, do what you want with Iran. Israel and America have hacked Iran's nuclear enrichment facility at Natanz uh, beforehand, which is an aggressive act. They have assassinated Iranian scientists. Now imagine what would happen if Iran did did, that to, to Israel. They'd be blown to pieces. So, you know, you have major aggression in the Middle East, major aggression in Russia, Ukraine, and all we're saying is ease the tension, stop killing each other. And maybe steal money together, you know, if you're a mafia. That's where mafias work the best. They they, they shouldn't be fighting over the turf war. Yeah,
0: yeah that's uh, sort of how I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just add on top of that, and I uh, I think it's a very uh, fair assessment you give that we're seeing now in Georgia, uh, you know, we had the 2003 Rose Revolution with Saakashvili, you know, Soros, Open Society. The revolution, backs. yeah. Yeah, uh, he, back to Saakashvili, I think he even opened his own Liberty Institute prior to that. They did the same thing in Mongolia in the early '90s, which I, where I lived and I researched. But it seems like now in Georgia they're trying to pull un, yet again another uh, color revolution, and then in, in in Hungary Samantha Powers is preparing the ground in Hungary for a paprika revolution, as my recent guests uh, Gavin Wax and Nathan Berger uh, called it. From the they're from the New York. Young so, so, so
1: they've run out of colors now. It's fruits.
0: Yeah, so now yeah, now it's the vegetables and in uh, Iran. We're seeing that you know there's this uh, every every few months we're seeing these different events with the, the uh, these riots or clashes with the with the girl with the what was it the, the hijab and now it's these poisonings and stuff and it, it just seems like it's again Western um, interference and so it, it does seem like uh, the, the Western Empire is. It, it it keeps pressuring the different par- other parts of the world you know whether it's venezuela or 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 syria or or going back to georgia or or uh, iran and so you know any any further thoughts um a quick shout out to our sponsors which you can locate via the sponsor page on geopoliticsandempire.com or whose links are included in every podcast description i've tried privacy phones in the past such as silent circles black phone which turned out to be a dud The best and really only option so far is de-googling your phone now you can do it yourself but i've never had the time to figure that out and simply got an above phone they sell de-googled phones that come with a suite of software they also provide support and a monthly above privacy suite with many features such as a unique phone number encryption email vpn and so forth if you're looking for a private phone check out above phone Make sure to click on the above phone link on geopoliticsandempire.com or via the podcast description so that we can enjoy a commission. Also, check out the Nomos Time Bank at nomos.net, which you can download in Spanish or English to your Apple or Google or de phone. Nomos allows people in your community to exchange services using time as a currency rather than fiat money. This will be one great way to survive in the coming algorithm ghetto. If you need health insurance, you can talk to my friend James Guzman of the Borderless Blog, Podcast, and Health Insurance. He offers free consultations. Simply schedule a time with him over at borderlesshealthinsurance.com. Finally, you can donate directly to Geopolitics and Empire, consult with me, the host, or become a member to join private monthly member Zoom calls where we shoot the breeze discussing world events.
1: Uh, so, I, I mean, the one in Iran I've been following very closely because my wife is from there. So I wrote an article on my substack called The Cover-Up um, on the history of the hijab in Iran. Um, first of all, this uh, Kurdish called Masa Amini, Um it is true. The, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm going to measure my, my answer here, but I'm not sure that the Iranian government is lying here. Okay. Um, it is not clear to me that she died from the morality police. Her family's lawyer accepted that she had heart problems beforehand. Okay. But it is clear she's died now. Um, there's been multiple cases like this in the past where girls in Iran have been mistreated by the morality police, usually in rural areas as opposed to city areas. It is institutionalized to some extent, to some extent it isn't. The morality police is also misunderstood because it's not a unit um like an official unit of the state The siege, which is a paramilitary can enforce it they tend to be violent. Some of it is more like, um, you know, if you went over red traffic, they take you to an area to explain to you the rules again type of thing and in some cases they do, you know, abuse people. So there is human rights abuses. So this issue comes a long way, but what people haven't mentioned is the Iran's own parliament in 2018 gave an assessment of the hijab rule, and they called for the abolition of Temeralli police. Iran's own parliament said this. I haven't seen that being mentioned in our media. So, you know, it's the censorship by omission with this whole issue again. Um, now, what is happening? Well, that story spread through uh, a Persian international, which is a Saudi Arabia-funded Iranian newspaper in exile. Okay, So that sort of tells you already what's happening over here. They are weaponizing women's rights. Um, Before this issue happened in Kant, for example, um, the Kant Festival, the winner was the uh, Iranian woman who won the the movie festival for the movie Holy Spider, which is a very cool film, by the way, about a serial killer in uh, Mashhad. Um, Anyways, at his speech, he said a few months before this revolution happens, the next revolution in Iran will be feminine. Okay. So it's sort of this thing what the CIA does, where they announce things through the movies and through the films before it occurs. Well, this is the exact same story again. I'm sorry, this is a, this is a clear evidence to me that they're trying to instigate regime change, and they're using legitimate women's rights issues okay, as the, as the web convenient weapon here, as humanitarian intervention was used in the past. I mean, the Ukrainian revolution of dignity, yes, people were effed up, uh, pissed off at uh, Viktor Yanukovych, for example, and he was corrupt and all this stuff. But we know very well the National Endowment for Democracy was involved over there. Well, they upped their budget for Iran before this revolution occurred. There's no coincidence to me. So I'm looking at it through that lens. Um, other interesting thing happening in Iran is I had a very interesting and important conversation with Gareth Porter on Iran's nuclear weapon. And I'm going to say it out loudly that Iran, there's no evidence whatsoever that Iran has a nuclear weapons program. Iran has not, never violated a non-proliferation treaty. They've signed it. And they've gone even further where they've called for a Middle Eastern free nuclear free zone. Okay, which Saudi Arabia supports all the Arab states supports, but guess who doesn't support it? The United States and Israel. Now, why would that be? I mean, it might have to be with. I mean, Israel has this foreign policy called nuclear ambiguity, which is a false because everyone knows Israel's got nuclear weapons and they've never signed a non-proliferation treaty. Now, the interesting thing, and this is what Noam Chomsky told me last night, is if Israel, if there is a nuclear-free zone in the Middle East. Israel will have to open their facilities for inspections. And that means they'll be found guilty of violating a non-proliferation treaty. That means under existing U.S. law, they cannot be sent. You cannot send any debt or military aid to Israel. Okay, so there's a big incentive to close that gap. Um, it's because then, you know, any country that violates a non-proliferation treaty under existing US law cannot get it. Also, another interesting one is the African Free, nuclear free treaty. Um, that's another treaty that's never mentioned, includes Egypt. Now, Egypt has signed it but never ratified it. And the reason Egypt doesn't want to ratify it is because if you sign that treaty, you cannot treat to trade with a country that violates the non proliferation treaty, which again is Israel. So that is sort of the geopolitics here. Uh, my sense is that Netanyahu is trying to escape prison sentences at the moment and is exaggerating again the threat of Iran. But th- that conflict is very serious at the moment. I-, I am really worried that um Israel might do something reckless and drag the US into another war. And you know, we know that was the strategy of the Iraq war as well. So
0: yeah. And, you know, we just saw Mark uh, Milley out in Syria saying we're not leaving Syria and they're reinforcing again troops uh, in Iraq. And just one more point on Iran that I thought was interesting, just everything you said with uh, I agree with the, the the movies. And it's like they're, they they want to pull Operation Ajax 2.0, like like literally they, they they're they can't think of anything more creative because I see them trotting out now more and more on the MSM, you know, Fox and, and CNN. The Shah's mm-hmm. son. The, they call I think they call him the crown prince uh, in, in exile. Pr- pr- prince of what? You know, but whatever. Uh, yeah, Reza,
1: Reza Baklavi. So and basically...
0: He, he, they're trying him out again. It's like almost they want to do another coup and then put him back uh, in well, like well, his not, father. Not to
1: team. There's a few groups. First of all is this Masya Ninajat. Well, it seems that she lives in a safe house in the United States that is paid by the FBI and the CIA. I mean, what a coincidence, you know. This is this so-called women's rights activist. Nobody's ever heard of her in Iran, by the way. Nobody even knew she was a famous news, uh, news editor that defied the hijab laws to escape Iran. Nonsense. A visa was paid by the CIA and she made Davis, David betray beforehand. Okay. That's your number one candidate. Number two is the crown prince, Reza Baklavi, who lives off remittances from his father that he stole from Iran that he doesn't want to give back. Okay, they Asked him once, uh, what job do you do? Well, he never doesn't work because he lives off the breaches that the former Shah stole. Do you think Iranians want that guy back? No, he's a crook. Okay. Um, Then the third one, which is even more scary, is a woman by the name of Maryam Rajavi. Um, She is basically a cult member she's got a cult called the MEK, Mujahideen Kelk. They are Israeli, Saudi funded uh, a group, which is we've got, they've got their own private town in Albania where they hack into the internet, into Iran to distribute this crap. And they have got a head office here in Paris. Now you should just look at them. They're a fanatic cult, and they've got some kind of mythology about her father being dead and killed, which never really turned out. And, and, and this is like your three candidates for regime change. So it's Operation Ajax. But, you know, Operation Ajax, at least the former Shah had some sophistication to it this is really bad okay now if you look at polls in Iran I, I have to check this out a little bit um across Iran the polls say that the Iranians are fed up with their government okay that's no secret um but if you they ask them a second question The first one is do you trust your government no and then the second one do you trust the US government absolutely no Okay. So they have a problem where they have 80 million people on the Iranian plateau who trust the U.S. government less than their own government. And do you think they're going to, they're going to accept these people? So let's assume this strategy works and so we topple the Mullah regime and all these things and we get the Shah son to come in. What's going to happen? Well, I can guarantee you within a few months going to be like Egypt or Sisi where there's another coup d'etat and the revolutionary guard just cracks down and kills the guy. This is this is stupidity lore, and they don't have another answer to Iran. Why? Because this is what Noam Chomsky told me uh, last night. Iran's main problem is not that it wants nuclear weapons. It's not that it is funding Hezbollah and you know all these guys, which is probably guilty of. No, Iran's main problem is its independence. The mafia does not want another mafia on its terrain, so that's why we need to crush down on it.
0: Yeah, that it's it's not going along with the globalist uh, mafia, and so anyone that's not plugging into the. You know, that system has to be changed. And m- maybe then to go back to the nuclear issue, you know, I had uh, Stephen Starr on recently, as you did. And, you know, I mentioned I, I've lived in Kazakhstan. I visited the principal Soviet nuclear test site, uh, 500 plus nukes dropped there. Uh, and so I, I've been to ground zero at the Polygon. Um, and the, I guess the issue is radiation. So as you mentioned, the 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 capacity uh, for destruction of a nuke. Is there, but then separately, there, there's the equation of uh, radiation and fallout and that that sort of thing. And you've been digging into that. What's sort of your conclusion or takeaway? Yeah, comes so that
1: that's a very interesting one. I had a discussion with Edward Calabrese on this, the history of the LNT model, the linear threshold model of radiation. Um, also Stephen Starr afterwards, and I disagreed with Stephen Starr on this, but cordially, is a very nice guy nonetheless. And he, so Stephen Starr's right that if we throw a nuclear bomb on a city, the smog that will go up into the atmosphere, or stratosphere and rise above the clouds will basically put us in nuclear winter. Okay. That is the scary scenario. But where I disagree with him is the fallout from radiation. I don't think it's as dangerous as people think. And I have very good data on this. Um, the first data comes from the atomic bomb survivors. If you think of it, these were two pretty good experiments, um, rep- repeated two cities. And if you look at the life, uh, life, um, of these, uh, um, you know, of the survivors, people who were exposed to high levels of radiation, uh, the amount of cancer is only like six to 7,000 people. That includes you know that's and something like three thousand above background, so I don't believe radiation causes cancer if it does it's at very high dosages, not at low dosages um, and that's sort of the 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 thing about the uh nuclear has been until the nineteen seventies uh, we had nuclear safety standards that accepted a much higher threshold of rate of background radiation. There were lots of bombs detonated in Nevada, which is probably similar to Polygon, you know, in, in Kazakhstan. And there's populations living next to it. And if you look at those populations, in Utah, for example, who got most of the cloud and, and the fallout from Nevada, has the lowest level of cancer in the United States. And this is where the concept of radiation or Mises comes in. If you go for radiotherapy, for example, they shoot you with radiation that is four to five times behind, uh, higher than uh, background radiation. And that is to boost your immune system. And it seems that cancer, at least certain types of cancer is related to a weak immune system. So if you're exposed to radiation, your body can adapt to it. This is the point to a certain level. I mean, obviously the guys at Chernobyl who were next to the blast died and the people who had died in the atomic bomb, things of that sort. But, um, argument here has been that yeah, even if you look at Chernobyl, for example, the animals at Chernobyl, they're fine. They seem to be doing better. So you have to question why is, why are mammals doing well, well in the radiation, you know, exclusion zone? Um, and if you look at even the amount of people who died at Chernobyl, it's something like 3,000. Um, you know, the amount of cancer deaths is within the noise. So the question is, is radi- Is the risk of radiation dangerous? And my arguments, I don't think so. And uh, there's very good studies saying that now. And what it comes back to, there's a conspiracy behind this, is in the 1950s, uh, Eisenhower at Adams for Peace, and they were concerned about radiation fallout in the state, and they appointed a panel of geneticists, experts in gene therapy. Um, who proved that radiation causes gene mutation. And that was the background of evolution. And guess who funded these guys? The Rockefeller Institute. What a big surprise. And Rockefeller obviously had the interest in making nuclear standards very strict to increase the cost of nuclear because he was selling oil. And that's basically the conspiracy behind... uh, It's not even a conspiracy because in the official communication, they say we are all conspirators here. They actually admitted it. Um, And Edward Calabrese, who I
0: interviewed, uncovered
1: this whole story. So that's basically, it's a radiation fallout I don't think it's dangerous, but a blast from nuclear weapons, yeah, you're going to die.
0: Just uh, one more point on the reason why it's hyped then, just like anything that they hype like climate change, like we've talked about this, that there's real environmental issues, I don't think they're existential, but then they hype it, they they mix some truth with a big lie, and then they freak us out with, no, climate change, we're all going to die, it's doomsday death cult Uh, and then Apply that same strategy. They do that. They do that with everything, you know. International terrorism, where they're the one. This, this it's mostly state terrorism, you know, ISIS and Al Qaeda that's funded by the West, and and so what would it be this with the nuclear issue? Because because they spread fear to control us. So w- would you say that they they try to hype up this again to make us afraid to to, to be more pliable to control as well? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah. I I, I mean, is it because they believe in it themselves? Probably. You know, humans are scared of invisible things, things we can't see, can't touch, things of this sort. So, I mean, you take Fukushima, for example. Nobody, I think, okay, only one guy has proven to the Japanese government he's dead cancer from radiation. But it's not even clear that he had it. But, okay, say one person has died of, of cancer from radiation. Nobody has died of radiation at Fukushima. Theoretically, statistically speaking, more people died during the evacuation, and now they've got this major exclusion zone. Okay, which they put people out of their houses; they can't go back. Some people refuse to go, and they seem to be fine there. So, you know, the fear of radiation is making nuclear expensive. You know that the fossil fuel industry has obviously got an incentive for that. And um, the second one is, I do think nuclear weapons, in particular, are being used at the moment. They're being used to generate fear. Right, and if we can, I, I'm not sure if you know I can get over the fear of being blown to pieces by a nuclear weapon. But a lot of the fear being told is like, if the weapon goes off, there's going to be a wasteland, and that's what you really need to be scared of. And I make the argument that the the the, the evidence for that's very poor because people still live in Hiroshima, and Nagasaki today, and the, nobody seems to be dying more of cancer over there. So you know that added fear, that exaggerated fear is what drives policy and you know obviously if somebody makes you scared he's probably making money out of it as well and who's making money well a lot of interest oil guys are making money the nuclear industry makes money because all the safety stuff they can get paid for there's a lot of people working in in nuclear safety i've also now gotten into the fact that there's a nuclear mafia it seems benjamin netanyahu is heavily involved with this guy um james corbett actually did a very good episode on this in 2018 um so you know there's a lot of interest in trying to keep nuclear scary. And the tragedy is, if we really care about the climate issue, about reducing emissions, not that I believe it's really a threat, um, nuclear is an obvious logical conclusion to that. But they won't open that Pandora's box. Why? Because energy is used in geopolitics for leverage. You know, it's an uh, interesting uh, fact that uh, Nam Chomsky explained to me again last night is that when the U.S. had the Marshall Plan beforehand, Europe had a coal-based economy, and the U.S., use the module plan. George Kennan, the chief strategist, said we need to get Europe on oil because we have the oil and we can use that for de- de- for, for leverage, basically. So, you know, energy is, is linked to geopolitics. It's not a, not a big
0: thing. And again, just to add uh, on to that, there's also a, a Russian nuclear industrial complex. People can yeah. go back, uh, I think 2017, when I went to Russia, I sat down with Russian uh, expert Oleg Bodrov, where he really focuses on this Russian nuclear industrial uh complex and the, the damage they do environmentally uh and just one more point uh cuz i in my Stephen starr interview i put photos of w- when i visited the polygon and w- again i was shocked because w- what you talked about you, we have this image of like wasteland right radioactive wasteland and i go into the polygon with i had two geiger counters and we and it's a huge space 18,000 square kilometers and you know we're just going to visit one ground zero but i i still thought like going entering the polygon You'd start to pick up radiation, and it wasn't the case. Like, and no. it, 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 but but when I did get to the ground zero, um, there def- definitely there was radiation there. And on my guy, guy on the photo, it just shows like two, but actually was like twelve to fifteen in other parts. But it was a more limited area. But what would you say about? Is it more like right where the bomb hits? It's it's a limited area where there's radiation. I mean, what what, what would you say on that?
1: Well, I mean, so we, if you take a reactor, for example, Chernobyl, where the reactor is, I mean, radiation is measured in um, Sieverts, Bucharel, is, is sort of the, I think they use RADs, and they've got REMS as well in the US. But basically, it's the amount of, um, you know, you've got isotopes, and basically, um, how much decay is left in the atom, basically. So if there's lots of decay, if it's very concentrated, yes, it's highly dangerous, it's toxic. So there's lots of energy, it shoots off all the time as it, it its half-life decreases, but the most dangerous one is right after reaction. I and mean, then there's exponential decay. Okay. So if you're at the latter end of the exponential decay, you're probably not exposed to that many. So, safety numbers differ on, on the experts that's looked into it. But the safety standard for nuclear workers is 10 millisieverts a year. Okay. That is ridiculously low because for radiotherapy, they shoot you with 150. Right. Um, and some people have argued it's to 700, 600, 700. But the stupidity of this thing is. The radiation safety standard is called LNT, Linear No Threshold Model. That assumes no dose of radiation ever safe. Now, there's an area in Ramzar in Iran where the background radiation is 250 millisieverts, and there's a city. So that's higher than what you experience at Polygon. So my argument is if if the guys in Iran is not dying, I mean, clearly that area should never have been evacuated, or maybe it should have been evacuated for a time and people can repopulate already. And that kind of worms needs to be opened up. Um, but you, I mean, you, you probably have to do proper studies to figure out what it is, but definitely I would say that, you, you know, you can probably get a hundred should be fine. What is the duration of the exposure that remains to be seen? Because remember if radiation hits your, you basically your cells, um, you, your, it, it, the, basically the molecules go bust. It's ionizing radiation, but your body has a repair mechanism. You have meiosis. So it's like getting a sunburn. You know, that's theoretically damaged from radiation. You get out of the sun, your body heals, and then it sort of tans, and that tan makes you more resistant. And that resistance is what they call radiation or So if you're exposed to low-dose radiation, your body learns to adapt to that environment. As people in polluted cities learn to adapt, you know, all these type of things, we're evolutionary beings, to a certain threshold, you know. So there's a certain range um, of radiation that is probably safe, and we know our standards are conservative, but we need to determine what that threshold is, In France, they did a study a few years ago, 2007, the Académie des Sciences, and they came out and they said above, below 150 millisieverts. So that's 15 times uh, background radiation. Um, They, they cannot statistically significant detect any cancers. Okay. so maybe that's a threshold so you know these things have to be determined but we know that we have been too scared of this stuff for a very long time and that means part of Chernobyl you can probably repopulate but it, it has to be scientifically proven I mean I, I wouldn't say let's go back all the way you know and and, and then be, be reckless like that but I, I would say that there's good evidence to say that we can question some of the things we've been taught.
0: I, I just keep thinking of more questions when it comes to this uh, radiation stuff and just one more when it comes to people with cancer and then the, the chemotherapy, the radiation therapy. I've viewed that like if I got cancer, I, I I would look at many different natural ways to deal with it first, and I've viewed chemotherapy as, as harmful. Do you have any thought on the uh, radiation?
1: So, so chemo is not radiation therapy. Uh, chemotherapy, statistically, it, it doesn't seem, in my view, to do anything. I mean, I'm not a cancer specialist, so I take it with caution. Uh, radiation therapy, though, there's very good work by a guy, by Professor Mohan Doss, is Indian immigrant to the United States. And he has shown how um, the atomic bomb survivors have lower rates of cancer. And he's been treating people using thresholds, uh, safety thresholds of radiation. He seems to have had success with that. So that's something to look into. Another thing, by the way, if you have cancer, it's been known for years that people who go to hot spas, okay, tend to have lower rates of cancers. Now, is that because of the beautiful blondes in Norway? Might be. That's a good. You know, plausible hypothesis, or it might be that they're exposed to radiation actually. And it seems to be that uh, at least some types of cancers, you know, are lower of radiation. So that's maybe a natural radiation exposure. I would say, cancers also, I had an interesting conversation with David Rasnick, he thinks it's a chromosomal imbalance uh, theory. And his arguments, he makes it, it's, expo- it's excessive exposure to toxins in the environment, probably true carcinogens. Um, again, I suspect above a certain threshold because our body can take certain poisons, even arsenic to a certain level, but, you know, certain doses lethal. So, you know, I, I don't know too much about cancer to say it. If I get cancer, I don't really know what I will do. I would probably consider radiation therapy based on what I've read right now, but, you know, it's it's uh, I, I I'm not sure to give you I, I don't have a medical advice on that.
0: And YouTube now is going to flag that uh, recommendation as you know th- um, pseudo what do you call it uh, pseudo uh, whatever yeah. uh, quack quack science Quackily, um, yes yeah um, okay mo- moving then to the biosecurity state you know the, the the global technocratic dystopia and you you've have you have some experience uh, in this in urban. Uh, planning. You, you, Last time you told us about what happened in South Africa. Uh, and again, the, the the issue is here the algorithm ghetto, right? The, the digital IDs and, and the health passports. And, you know, I, I've been telling this story in recent weeks. Uh, I I used to teach at the Tech de Monterrey, uh, which is owned by FEMSA, which is an actual partner with the World Economic Forum. Uh, in fact, Tech de Monterrey, uh, one of the top schools in Mexico, the only university in all of Latin America to be invited to Davos. Uh, and so they just rolled out on their campus the first OXO convenience store that's smart. No people, no cash accepted. You have to register your phone, scan a QR code. You walk in, it's like this Amazon and Whole Foods stores. So you take whatever you want and you leave. And then they're prototyping it now. And then they're thinking of, they said they they can replicate it to all across Mexico, to hospitals and, and malls and, and parks and you name it. And so this is the fourth industrial re- re- revolution we're seeing now. Being driven from Mexico to U.S. to Europe, you name it, China, and so uh, you're not. What are your, you know, latest thoughts as to the whole COVID nineteen ninety four biosecurity thing? Uh, uh, you know, is is it going to end? And, and and how do you see them pushing forward? You know, with this. Cashless? Well,
1: well, they they, they clearly there's clearly people pushing for this stuff, right? There's no doubt about it. Davos, it's it's a variety of interests. I don't think it's just Davos, but they definitely at the center of a lot of the crappy ideas. You know, my suspicion is, yes, it can be damaging, but people will adapt around the rules and people will find ways to corrupt the system, as was the case in apartheid South Africa. Some people have told me, even in Soviet Russia, even under Stalinism, they found ways to make money when it was illegal to do so. You know, they had ways to break the system. Um, and I've seen this in in a variety of countries in the world of crappy governments. I mean, look at Argentina. How many times haven't they had inflation, right, where theoretically you've got no way out? But people find ways to put dollars under their bed. So, I I really doubt the ability of these technologies to um, be so controlling, you know, on a personal level. But, I mean, it is damaging. It's an idiotic brain-dead brain, brain dead idea. Um, essentially, it comes down to rationing, you know, that you can have a certain carbon footprint and you can travel here, you can't do this, whatever, whatever. But look at the resistance against it. I mean, we now have governors in the United States speaking out against this stuff, right? We have certain states uh, um, blocking... Um, uh, what did the Santos say the the, the devil stuff is out of question here? We have people in Europe speaking out against it. And look at the uh um the media reputation that Davos has gotten. Look at those interviews from Rebel News, etc. I mean there's a lot more people questioning this stuff. So you know, I'm optimistic that um uh, uh you know people are going to push back against this in their own ways and very creative ways. I mean, I actually want them to try and censor the internet because there's so many clever kids who know how to know to w- work their way around DARPA. You know that will find alternatives. How many people didn't discover Odyssey and other platforms during COVID because they tried to censor YouTube? And my sense is, if you know how to adapt, if you have a sense of the stuff, you would survive it.
0: I, I, I like your attitude. I, I mean, I've been joking about this. Uh, I, I, my phrase I came up with was, "We are we're privileged to be beta testing the mark of the beast." Uh, system so we are like those engineers who are beta testing uh these iterations and it's like well,
1: well the critique against this stuff right is um if a hayek had a very good critique against the soviet union which was a centralized authority has an intelligence problem he doesn't know how to distribute the, uh, um resources now your base supercomputers doesn't have the algorithm to distribute it it cannot predict demand you've got a system that changes from time one to time zero So if you're going to try and manage a society on this technocratic basis, it's going to be a F up very quickly. And that's my sense of it, you know? Yeah. So, um, no, I'm not, I'm not concerned. Uh, I'm somewhat concerned, obviously. Um, I I don't really want to fight the system like this because I would like it to not be implemented in the first place, but I think sometimes people are too much obsessed with this. And then they don't miss stuff that's happening in contemporary politics. Because just by looking at geopolitics, as we just spoke about, the war in Ukraine to me is far more concerning than uh, than this thing at the moment.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, any we've sort of covered the waterfront. um, You know, anything else that's uh, that you're looking at that that you want to mention?
1: Well, no. The the only thing is at the moment I'm trying to. um, So I'm I'm on my way to try and maybe understand the Middle East a little bit better. And, and understand the conflicts over there. I've gotten, I spoke, I should have done it earlier, um, but I've gotten a little bit more outspoken against Israel because of what's going on over there. And let's face it, a lot of people don't want to out, be outspoken against Israel because of the Holocaust and the Second World War and all those things. And yeah, sure, you you should not go into that land too far. Um, but uh, I'm very skeptical about the intentions, especially Netanyahu's intentions with uh, Iran at the moment. I think Netanyahu is doing enormous damage to Israeli dis- democracy. Um, you know, he's trying to avoid a prison sentence and he's actively undermining the judicial system. And he's uh, consequently kicking Palestinians off their land, you know, in, in a process of doing so and potentially pulling the United States into another unwinnable war with Iran. So that is sort of where my attention is at the moment. And, uh, what I would like people to not lose track of while the war in Ukraine is going on. I understand a lot of things to worry about, but that is sort of really what we need to push against is the militarism that has taken over the US establishment. And it seems to be a Republican and Democrat thing. There is like no pushback from the authority against the military. And it can so easily change with a few policies, you know. Policy, policy sits behind all of this, a
0: Yeah, there was a recent Gallup poll that uh, interviewed... Americans and th- they've captured both the left and the right. So, so they interviewed that the the biggest menace the left finds is is the Russians. So they're like pro war yeah. with Russia, and then the right is uh, they viewed China as the biggest enemy. Seventy six percent of Republicans like viewed uh, China. So it's like as you said, this is a bipartisan military industrial complex is, has captured all swaths of America, and they've gotten them ready for war with Eurasia, with uh, the world island, with China, and. Russia and just on the Israeli point, um I'm catching more flack now. I've got Canadian vice journalists um that are financed by the Canadian government, which is merely an outpost of you know u s Empire uh trying th- th- they're they're probably listening now. they're noting down all my geopolitics Empire podcast interviews and TNT and trying to make me out to be some fascist Nazi anti-Semite yeah. when i'm I'm speaking out against fascism uh uh the past couple of years. Um, I frequently. Oh,
1: everyone is a Nazi except those guys in Ukraine, right?
0: Yeah, you know, I was, my grandfather was a Nazi, Croatian Nazi prisoner, and so. And I just thought the ADL tweeted uh, yesterday. This is ridiculous. I mean, the ADL tweet says, and I'm not even a Trump voter. I'm not like a MAGA. Mm-hmm. I, I want to. I don't classify as a Trump supporter or MAGA. They said former President Trump also delivered remarks that were in character, but still dangerous. And they said his claims about. Expelling warmongers, driving out globalists, casting out communists, and throwing off those who hate our country, basically like enemies, echo classic anti-Semitic rhetoric. So by ADL's own admission, they're like, if they think um, all that stuff is dangerous or wrong then it sounds like the ADL are warmongers are globalists and are they're they're communists but, but i and
1: i wonder did a computer write that statement or did they actually is it like this new ai generated stuff It's an actual, it actual tweet person? From
0: ADL tweet tweet from ADL's account so but by their own admission they're saying they support their pro-war pro-globalism and pro-communism and pro allowing enemies to destroy your country i mean this is just um and yeah,
1: it has not, I, I, yeah. It's, it's just it's just plain stupid. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wonder. I, I mean, I wonder how you can get into this echo chamber and not realize how absurd you sound. I mean, the the other guys that are similar to me are these. You're a climate denial denialist, people. So I've got I did a lot of climate change down. I think a lot of this is overblown stuff. And yeah, I've gotten a lot of flack from this, you know. And I had a debate on my channel between Gerald Kutney, who is uh, like a pro climate. Person and, and Tony Heller, who's a really cool um, debunker. And Tony Heller really destroyed him in debate. But then people comment, right? And people like, but could he win one debate? And I'm like, did I watch the same hour that you guys watch? Like, am I living in an alternative uh, universe? And the only way I can explain these people is they're in a cult. There's a climate cult. There was a, uh, um, you know, Great America MAGA cult around Trump for a while. There is, um, you know, a woke cult. You know, everything to me is like getting, like the narratives are getting really extreme and just plain stupid, like at the end of it, because you're around people that only agree with you that, you know, you get to that point where, okay, um, everything is a Nazi. So everything's a Nazi. You hate communism, you're a Nazi. You know, you hate, uh, um, you want to, you, you say you want to fight your country's enemies, which seems reasonable to be like for any patriot, you're a Nazi. I mean, it's absurd.
0: Yeah, it's it's gone too far. And um, yeah, this is what social media is doing. Uh,
1: but I, I'm what... I'm glad it's going that way because I think a lot of people will, I mean, anyone who's got a few brain cells will have to see through it. I mean, there's always going to be a certain percentage of the population that stays indoctrinated that believes what CNN or Fox News tells them. Um, but I'm glad if there's one good thing that came out of COVID is that so many people, myself included, to be honest, have really questioned the nature of the media and propaganda. I mean, I I did not think that propaganda was this deeply entrenched in society. And, you know, I'm still learning every day how people are trying to mess with my head. So every big claim from authority these days, I am so skeptical of. I go and I verify it. And I think that's sort of the attitude that everyone has to take on.
0: But but I I agree with you. But I do also see um, people's brains being broken uh, because there are people just flooding my comments with um, the earth is flat. Uh, you know, the all this new age stuff and, uh, infectious disease doesn't exist. I, I don't, I mean, I don't, the, the, there's people with the no virus stuff, but putting it all together, you know, the Jews behind everything, um, flat earth and on and yeah. on. And it's like their, their brains are being, but the, they're so incessant, which is the issue. It's like, okay, I have this idea, talk about it reasonably, but they're just incessant. They won't stop that. They, they're banging on just about that. And I'm like, look, I got other things to do. Get out, get some sunshine. You know, have but, a meal but, with, but you know. it,
1: It's sort of the people, you know, I find who's still on COVID virus, no virus. Now, I, I personally don't see a new virus. If there was, it's probably just rebranded flu, or there was never a pandemic, you know, whatever. Um, but be that as it may, move on. You know, it's sort of what I want to tell people. There's other issues at this stage. I mean, I said it last time I was on your channel. I'm still surprised. People are still going on. But this guy said it came from a lab and you need to listen to him. And I, you know, I'm like, I, guys, I, I don't care anymore. I, I'm, I'm just so over that issue. It happened. People made money. They screwed people. They locked us in those homes. They abused us. Move on. You know, they're now abusing you of Ukraine. And it seems to me that story has lost its traction already. So I'm wondering, aren't they going to start a war of Iran? You know, are they going to start a war of Taiwan? I don't know. I don't know what the next crazy story is, but there is going to be one and be prepared for that one, you know, or just go on holiday for a while, relax, come back, chill a bit, the world is not coming to an end, don't believe in the apocalypse and know the Jews don't control everything, you also are in control of your own life.
0: Those are great, uh, I think, final thoughts uh, for us. And yeah, yeah, uh, uh, a lot of things you said uh, I'd agree with there. Um, I'll include again your links in the description. But again, where are the best places to find you or your, you know, top projects for us to follow?
1: Um, Substack, they can subscribe there. YouTube, I've got still a YouTube channel. I'm still on Pentagon Tube. They haven't kicked me off yet. And Twitter, I'm still on Elon Musk, who is the uh, military intelligence contractor that's supposed to save free speech. Uh, um platform you know at least he's opened it up a little bit but he's still censoring we all know that so you know that's where you'll find me most of my stuff will be on Substack and I'm also writing an article soon for um uh, was it the American Mind with Joel Kotkin I still do co-authoring with him so it's on a variety of platforms propaganda and focus I wrote a little bit for them as well um, on Egypt and the Green Deal and stuff so it's all over the place
0: yeah, and uh, I, you know, Pentagon Tube, that's what I call it. I mean, let's just call things as they are, call a spade a spade. Pentagon Tube and, you know, DARPA's life log, which is Facebook and so on and so forth. And so, all right, Ugo, un- until next time, thanks for being on Geopolitics Empire. All right, thank you very much.